Welcome to another episode of the Myths That Make Us podcast. Uh, today's episode is going to be a little bit different. Um, I'm sharing a recording that I did uh, at the end of 2023, where I did about a three and a half hour workshop on dream interpretations for fit for service. I wanted to share this with everybody because um, this is probably the best, most comprehensive overview of how to actually start a personal dream interpretation practice. And I just think it's like a fundamental life skill that improves a lot of other areas of your life. There's a concept in psychology uh, and it's called keystone habits. And these are the type of habits that when people acquire them uh, unconsciously, a lot of other habits start to improve or fall away if they're negative. And keystone habits are like working out, um, improving your diet, improving your sleep. Uh, I don't think they've studied dream work, but I think if they did, they would find out that it absolutely is a keystone habit. I think it's a keystone habit for the soul. Uh, what you'll notice, or what I notice, because I live with it, I'm uh, a little bit self-critical, just like we all are, you know, but because this is a lecture, uh, my stutter is a little bit more present in this, but I'm sure people will say, oh, I don't even notice, but I notice. Um, and also my energy is a lot more amped up, and it's because I'm in the presentation mode, and I think there's probably about 70 people on this call. Um, Graham, my friend and producer, had to do some magic on this call to uh, protect things that are private to the people who shared some of their dreams, but we were able to share a couple of dreams in here to give you guys a sense of what this stuff actually looks like. So if you've ever been curious what dream work actually looks like, and also maybe just a little curious about what like a fit for service class online looks like, uh, this, is, this is for you. As always, I truly appreciate your time and your attention, and I hope this pays dividends, you know what I'm saying? And big love, and if you wanna stay connected, uh, get on the newsletter. I think most of you are already. Thank you for everything. Please enjoy. All right. Well, let's get to it because I want to. Uh, I have a lot of notes, and I've never brought notes before to one of these calls, and I'd like to get through the notes as fast as honors the material because then we're going to do the thing that you guys have been wanting to do the entire year that I reluctantly don't do because. Uh, yeah, the first place to start is I owe you all a apology. Um, I haven't taught you guys dream work this entire year. And I think it's because I've taken it for granted. But I recently had, I read a Jungian book for the first time in like a year and a half. And as I was reading it, I was like, what the fuck have I been doing? Like, I haven't been working with my dreams for like a year and a half. And really what happened is I got the relationship I wanted. And then I just kind of like stopped doing this type of work because it's hard. 
And I started reading this book and I was like, oh my God. And then I just started interpreting all my friends' dreams for like the last week and a half. And I've remembered like, this is my gift. Like for whatever reason, I have a brain that's just really good at this type of thing. And I haven't taught you guys how to do this stuff. And so um, we're going to do it. We're just, I'm just going to give you like the full intro because I'm going to make a course over this, but I'm going to give you guys the course for free before the end of the year. And I want you guys to give me like feedback on like what I can improve about it and shit. Um, because it's a whole different worldview that I think will challenge a lot of spiritual people's assumptions, but it's also super hygienic for anyone who wants to hold space for people who go into altered states of consciousness, because there's something modern people have a wound where they don't honor the power of the symbolic. And so then when people have strong symbolic experiences, it feels like it's a lie to interpret it anything other than, than to make it literally true. And when you turn the symbolic into the literal, it can really cause havoc in your life and you just miss the point. But if you can understand how deep and rich and true in its own sense, the symbolic is, you just turn into a wizard. So, um, all right, here we go. Uh, I'm just going to basically just start going through these notes. So um, one of the most common mythological motifs is the eye of God. And there's um, a poet who wrote, I think it was Victor Hugo. He wrote a poem about Cain and Abel and about how when Cain killed Abel, he then tried to run away from God. And he ran as far away from the Garden of Eden as he possibly could. And then when he would go to sleep, when he closed his eyes, he would see the eye of God. And it scared the shit out of him. And so then um, he got into a boat and he tried to sail as far away from the edge of the land. Um, and then he, took, he went to sleep on the boat and he saw the eye of God. And so then once he landed on this new land, he went and he buried himself to try to get away from God. And when he buried himself and the darkness came, he saw the eye of God. We have an eye of God inside of us, and it's watching this call right now. It's the unconscious. But really the word unconscious is just one, it's like a sticker that we place over the fundamental mystery of existence and we give it a name so that we pretend like it's not terrifying but there is something in you that is massively larger and smarter than you that grew you inside of your mom's womb like one of the things to feel into is you have some type of intelligence that if you cut a part of your arm it knows what you're like light configuration is and then it regenerates but it doesn't over regenerate where you grow an arm but it like there's something in you that is doing a bunch of shit that we're not aware of um and this part of you talks to you when you sleep it talks to you literally through creating worlds and what the Jungian lens teaches is that if you actually learn how to interpret its language, because it speaks its own language, you will very quickly discover, oh my God, it's interested in your becoming. And it will teach you things that you don't know. 
And dreams are one of those things where because it's an everyday occurrence, we're able to walk past it and not just have it completely blow our minds to the point where, where we start to like cry and laugh at the same time. Like, why is it that there is something that when you're unconscious, it is able to create a simulation of a world that is so true that your batting average for recognizing that you're in a dream and not in the real world is like less than 0.1%. And that it teaches you shit. What I'm going to argue and really just try to teach for the rest of my life really is that um, if you can learn how to understand dreams, it'll do some of the following things. One, it's a God compass. Like if the word God has any meaning, there's this thing in you that's trying to navigate your becoming through the world. It's really like having like a God homie behind you that's like, hey, dumbass, don't go that way. Hey, dumbass, you're doing that thing again. And this goes to the next thing. Your dreams will call you out. Like all of us have blind spots all of the time. And if anyone is in a relationship, you know that you can see your partner's blind spots and they cannot hear you. Like the great tragedy of your life will be trying to figure out how to maintain patience while you try to help your partner see your blind spots and for them not to lose their mind because you don't see your blind spots, but you want to help them with their blind spots. Having a relationship with dreams will help you see your own blind spots. The next thing that it will do is that it will teach you things that you don't know, which just by itself is fucking so weird that there's something inside of you that can teach you things that you don't know. And it's like, don't look too long at that problem because it'll fucking break your brain. The next thing that it'll teach you is that you are a multiplicity. None of you are one people or one person or one personality or one thing. You know, and this is something that if you guys have been on the IFS calls, you guys can see and understand this. And it's like, you will have a hard time navigating reality and especially non-ordinary states of consciousness if you think you're one thing. It's just going to cause a bad time. And your dreams will show you this over and over and over again. The next thing it'll do is it'll teach you how to speak the language of symbols which I think is one of the biggest wounds that modern people have, that if you transform this wound, you're going to look like a fucking magician to people because it's a entirely, it's like we've cut off half of life when you don't understand symbols. Like, um, just to give you guys a really heater quote from Robert Johnson, who's a Jungian analyst, is that... um when he's talking about the difference between something that is literally true and something that is symbolically true, he has this quote and it's something like, do I literally believe that Jesus was born of a virgin birth? And then he has this long pause and he's this just aged old man. And he's like, of course not. That's ridiculous. But do I believe that symbolically the redeemer within all of us is birthed from a virgin? Absolutely. Because in order for us to transform any part of ourselves, only we 
can do it. And it's an entirely interior process. And so we give birth to the Redeemer in us that is the part that can suffer the pain of our own blind spots and our shadows that can allow us to learn something. So it's important to learn about symbols. Dreams can also become a bridge to like, I hesitate to promise this, because people are going to jump to it and try to skip all the hard shit and just go straight to this. But if you study people who have worked with dreams for a long time, you can really see that there's a clear pattern. Whether or not it is literally true, they're often able to talk to people who have died and get wisdom and insight from them. They're often able to talk to like wise elders from different cultures that are able to teach them things in their dreams. I have, I don't have dreams like this. I'm not there yet. But when I study the elders who talk about dreams, uh, they talk about this over and over again. Also, I hesitate to offer this because most people will skip all the hard shit and just try to interpret their dreams this way. But dreams can become prognostic which means in a way that doesn't make sense. You can have dreams at times that seem to intuit something that hasn't happened yet. Again, I almost never have dreams like this. And I think a lot of people want their dreams to be like this. And these type of dreams are super rare. But uh, if you're being open-minded and you believe you know, people who give these stories who have worked with dreams for 40 or 50 years, it's an undeniable phenomenon. Dreams, and this is Jung's belief, is the most effective way to deal with your psychological issues. Like most of what pains you, your anxieties and your depressions and your mania and your self-hate, your shame, your guilt, if you learn how to dance with dreams, especially once you start to appreciate how powerful and also how almost humorous this force can be and you start to trust it, um, the opportunity for healing parts of you that are stuck in knots, you know, is tremendous. Also just purely practical for the ego. If you learn how to dream, you can often have deep, practical creative insights if you're like a craftsman or an artist or someone who's working on a problem for a long time stories abound of scientific insights that came from either dreams or psychedelics which one of the things to really understand is dreams speak the same language as psychedelics and they come from the same part of the psyche and uh, if you're following along at home, you'll recognize that what that means is that if you interpret your psychedelic experiences as literally true, you're probably in for a hard time. And this is one of the things that dreams can help you like deeply understand how important it is to understand the symbolic. Okay. So here are some just overall dream guidelines. And at the end of this, I'm going to teach you guys how to interpret your own dreams. And then we'll just interpret as many dreams as we possibly can before people just fucking get tired. Because I can do it for hours. It's like it's the most interesting thing to me. And uh, most people who don't understand it are very 
Everyone loves when I interpret their dreams, but when someone has to listen to me interpret someone else's dream, they have no patience for it. And you can almost see their eyes start to glaze over. So we'll see if you guys can handle hearing uh, other people's dreams. All right. So here are some quick guidelines. One, dreams are attempts by the unconscious to communicate with you. Just always assume your dreams are trying to communicate to you. And the thing that's trying to communicate to you is way fucking smarter than you. Number two, dreams are not literal. Dreams are symbolic and draw stars around it. If you have a dream that your partner cheated, do not argue with them and use your dream as evidence for why you believe what you believe. Now I'm going to put an asterisk here. And again, I'm going, I don't want to, but I'm going to tell you guys the truth, but please do not fall into the trap that most people are going to fall into. Sometimes your dreams actually are literal. It is very rare, but for your hygiene, always assume it is symbolic and it's referencing parts of you. Just as a rule of thumb, for the love of God, do that. Because what your ego is going to want to do is when the dreams feel good, you're going to be like, oh, that's a part of me. Yeah. But then if you have a dream and there's something incredibly disturbing, oh, that's not mine. I'm processing something in the collective or I'm intuiting this person's pain. Bullshit. Don't bullshit yourself. One of the best things about dreams is that they will help you make contact to the parts of you that you find disgusting, cowardly, shameful, things that generate guilt. That's where you get the majority of the gold from dream work. So for the love of God, just pretend like I didn't say that some dreams can be about other people and that they can be literal and just assume it's symbolic. All right, number three, no dream is too little. If you make the effort, there is gold. I have friends who don't believe rule number three, and they're exactly the motherfucking people who need to be looking at their dreams. It's people who have very clear, I'm not going to look at that. It's like people who do any type of like healing work or they help people in any capacity, but they won't do psychedelics. I know this is a controversial opinion, but I'm talking amongst friends. That to me is a red flag. Oh, it's like, oh, you help people in any capacity, but you're afraid of doing psychedelics. It means that there's a there there. That's my intuition. Um, Number four, you have many different personalities in you and they will appear in your dreams as the characters in your dreams. The people in your dreams are symbols for parts of you. I think I told you guys this before, but every year, except for this year, which is cool, but the last four years, there is always at least one woman who has a dream about me, who believes that it's a sign that her and I are supposed to be together. And then I have to very politely explain that is a representation of a part of you that is trying to make contact with you, that you're ready to start to integrate and blah, 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 blah. They don't like that, but it's true. 
The year is not over. Tiche. Um, number five, each part, each character, especially if it's a recurring character, has its own center of consciousness. That means it has its own desires, its own values, and its own point of view. And what's so cool about this is that if you guys have been on my IFS calls, this is obvious. And it's like dreams and IFS perfectly fit. It's, it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. It's just like, oh, I love it. All right, number six, the psyche is androgynous, which means it is composed of feminine and masculine symbols and energies. So we live in really confusing times when it comes to what does it mean to be male and female? And just the essence is there is a type of energy that receives into itself and there's a type of energy that penetrates into. And it's like, that's as distinct as protons and neutrons and electrons. Like, and your dreams will play out those different energies inside of you. The next one, I forgot what number I'm on. Every dream is made up of a series of feeling tone images. So this is actually technically true and it's very interesting. The actual phenomena of dreams are it's a series of images that have a, an emotion attached to it. And the moment you wake up, you start to weave a narrative connective thread to it and you can't help it. But the fundamental blocks of a dream are feeling infused images. Psychedelics are actually that too. If you hone how sensitively you can just watch what is happening is that it's not like a movie plays out. It's like this living image arises and then your ego kind of spontaneously starts to weave a story around it. All right, last one. Dreams don't have a single exclusive meaning. So uh, one of my pet peeves are when people interpret a movie and they tell you this scene means this. No, it doesn't. That's not how it works. Art does not mean one thing. If something means one thing, it's a sign. If a movie means one thing, it's propaganda. Symbols and signs are two distinct type of phenomena. A sign is created by the conscious mind to convey a specific meaning. So stop sign. A symbol arises spontaneously from the unconscious into the conscious mind and is a portal into something that's beyond comprehension. So like the crucifixion, the cross is a symbol. If any motherfucker tells you it means one thing, they're likely a preacher or they're trying to sell you something, you know? A symbol is like a diamond where as you rotate it through light, different color comes out. So the thing about dreams is that, yes, it's trying to convey something to you now that's like a specific kind of like 
piece of guidance, but many of your dreams you could come back to in five years and be like, oh my God, and a whole new layer of it unfolds. Okay. The structure of the psyche, because this is something, it's just like, let's just kind of understand what we're working with. So this lens is from mainly Jungian psychology. It just happens to hold up based off of a lot of new modern research that we have. Um, I just love this shit so much. I'm going to try not to go down too many rabbit holes because I could just fucking yap and yap and yap. But I want to just kind of give you guys a sense of like, what is the psyche? What is going on? So Jung calls out four types of, or four levels of the psyche. I'm going to offer you five. Um, number one is the personal consciousness. You could think of this as the ego. The thing that's listening to me right now that identifies by the name that you have. The part of you that thinks that you are 28 or 32 or 44 or whatever. Level two is the subconscious. The subconscious is anything that you at will could bring into consciousness. So for example, wiggle your right toe, the rightmost toe, your pinky toe. Okay, before I said that, that part of you was not in your conscious ego flashlight. But the moment I spoke it, you could bring it into. So you, your subconscious is basically all of the shit about your psyche that you've drudged up out of the unconscious that you can access at will. Layer number three is the personal unconscious. And this is where shit starts to get fucking weird is that I think just a good rule of thumb is that 99% of what you could possibly grok, which means to comprehend 99% of what you could know is currently in your unconscious, which means you've never been aware of it and you can't bring it to your conscious mind at will in this moment right now. 0.9% of you is your subconscious. And these are the things that, like, these are your memories. These are all the things that you've learned through books that you could recall if you wanted to. And then 0.1% of you. And honestly, it's way smaller than that if you look at the actual bit rate of your conscious, like, but 0.1% of you is this conscious thing that thinks it's the king of the whole goddamn thing. One of the beautiful things about dreams is it just helps you. There are studies that show that if you're inside of a house for a long time, because everything is built in relationship to your existence, the ego can start to get inflated and it gets kind of unhealthy. But if you go outside into a forest or you go look at the ocean or you go stand before a mountain, just seeing something so big, it actually relieves depression and anxiety and all these fucking things. And it's because it reminds the ego of its proper place in the grand whatever. The inner version of that is dream work. Like as soon as you start to play with the immensity within you, you're like, oh, I'm just a little fucking puppy. And there's this big old thing behind me. And uh, it's really 
It feels religious to me. Okay. Uh, some quotes I want to share. Quote, one who had long, this is a quote from Jung trying to talk about the personal unconscious. Uh, one who had long been dead and yet was perpetually present and timelessness until far into the future that speaks to us through a breath of the great world of stars and endless space. Jung's really hard to read, but after like 60 pages of nonsense, he'll write something like that. And it's like, all right, I'll keep going. Like my experience reading Jung has been uh, painful, but another quote is, Although we human beings have our own personal life, we are yet in large measurement the representatives, the victims, and the promoters of a collective spirit whose years are counted in centuries. We can well think all of our lives that we follow our own noses and may never discover that we are, for the most part, supernuminaries of the stage of the world theater. I'm going to explain that a little bit more, but I think it's very cool. Okay. Level number four is the objective psyche, which is what's known as the collective unconscious. And the collective unconscious is one of his more controversial beliefs. But if anyone here has had any type of psychedelic experience, you're going to be like, what's the controversy? But the idea is that there is a single conscious organism that's this like grand human consciousness tree. And each of us are little leaves and branches on this big thing. And that there is a type of consciousness that you can get to where you can get information from the collective unconscious. All right. Number five is the collective consciousness. So there's the collective unconscious, which is just the great big grand everything and then the collective consciousness is whatever we're calling culture i like to call it zod like the zeitgeist god and one of the coolest things about this jungian lens is that what dreams are to the individual art movies books are to the collective consciousness Myths are the dreams of culture, is one of the quotes from Jung. And if you want to fucking go down a, a lifelong rabbit hole, find your favorite movie, interpret it like it's a dream, but it's coming out of the sleep of culture. And shit can get real wild real quick. It's uh, honestly one of my favorite things to do. And hopefully by the end of this call, you will learn how to interpret and understand symbols so you can start to do this in all of your favorite movies. And if you want to really scare yourself, go find your favorite movie as a kid and interpret it like it's a dream of culture to see what myth you're, you're unconsciously like bound to. And if it's a myth that you like, enjoy it. And if it's not, you can change it. And that's a whole different story. Ain't going to have time for that. All right. The fundamental parts of the ego or of the psyche that you'll be playing around with. Number one. You know them, you love them, it's your ego. It gets a bad rap, it's not bad. It's, it is literally the thing that you must live within and grow that has to contend with everything. 
Anyone who says they don't have an ego is either ignorant or a liar because to say the sentence requires an ego. Anyone who doesn't shit their own pants has an ego. So I don't believe you that you're that you've transcended your ego if you have clean underwear. That's one of my hard rules about spirituality. So it's like let me sniff your underwear. And if it's clean, I don't believe you. All right. The ego is the thing that you are moving through most of your life. It's the thing that you're going to be growing and it's the thing that must exist for all of this dream work to happen. And one of the things that is really cool is one of my favorite like ideas from all of Abrahamic religions is the idea that the chosen people are the one who wrestle with God. I think that's one of the most profound ideas in all of religion and the essence of dream work. And I'm going to hint at it, but there's a more advanced type of dream work called active imagination where we are not going to get into uh, today because I have to practice with it more. But the essence of dream work and of active imagination is that the ego contends with the archetypes and the parts and the gods within you. And it's through the conflict that new insights arise and that your unconscious parts can teach your ego shit your ego doesn't know, but your ego can also imbue morality into your unconscious archetypes. Because for example, all of you have an archetype within you that is fucking Genghis Khan. And it's like, fuck what other people want. I win. I take. You know, and like that part as an archetype is not something that you should just let tell you how to live your life. It's something that you want to contend with. But if you don't pretend, if you pretend it's not there, it can fuck up your life. So number one is the ego. Number two, something that's even more misunderstood than the ego is the shadow. I am sorry for how people talk about the shadow because I'm willing to bet everyone here misunderstands it and it's not y'all's fault. So most people understand the shadow as like the bad stuff in us that we can't see. No, the shadow by definition is anything that is active in your life that is in the unconscious that can't be seen. So parts of your shadow are going to be really awesome. And parts of your shadow are going to be fucking terrible. But shadow work itself is learning how to work with the parts of you that you can't see. So for example, if you're super depressed, your shadow is actually hope. The part of you that has hope is currently in the shadow. If you're walking around like an arrogant asshole, the part of you that is insecure is in your shadow. But won't go down rabbit holes. Let me just try to get through this list, okay? All right. Number one, ego. Number two, shadow. Number three is your persona. So persona is Latin for mask. It was the masks that Greek actors would wear when they would, uh, you know, do their shit. Your persona is the part of you that you've created throughout your life that you use to navigate when you're at the grocery store, when you're at work, you best believe on your first date, your persona is out there. It's not the full totality of who you are. It's, it's, it's the best that you can bring. 
So you can think of the ego as almost like a planet and the part that extends towards the outside world, that part of it is the persona. And then the part that extends away from the outside world is the shadow. All right, now it's gonna get a little bit weird if it's not already gotten weird. There's a part of you that Jung calls the syzygy, but we're never gonna call it that because it's not just, it's not really useful. The syzygy is what Jung would call the soul, but the soul is not the Christian soul. There is a part of you. All right, so mythologically, Hermes was the only god that could move between the three worlds. He was the only god that could go up to heaven, down to earth, and down into the underworld. He was the messenger god. Um, technically, Zeus could too, but if Zeus went down to Hades, it meant that like war was breaking out and the order of the whole thing wasn't working. The function of Hermes was to be able to move through all the worlds. Jung sees the part of us that's able to go down into the unconscious and bring stuff back, and the part that almost brings like prayers from the conscious mind down into the unconscious, that, that thing that can move between the worlds. He calls it the syzygy. And that each of us, depending on what our dominant persona mode, not really our persona, but whatever energetic quality our ego is, our syzygy is the opposite. So if your ego is mainly masculine energy, this part of you will feel feminine. And this part of you will represent itself in your dreams as women. If your ego is feminine, this part of you will feel masculine and will represent itself to you in your dreams as males. A whole rabbit hole that we won't go down today is that when you fall for someone and you're like, oh my God, we've had past lives together, or you feel like we have a soul contract, or oh my God, it feels like I've known this person forever, that feeling. So it's just a technical truth for how consciousness works, but you've lived with yourself your entire life and you don't know who the fuck you are. So just imagine when you see someone and you're like, oh my God, I feel like I've known them forever. You, you don't. But the way consciousness works is we project contents of our consciousness onto a thing and then try to interact with our projections with it long enough until the truth of it starts to break through. You project your inner other onto people you fall in love with. And it takes on average about 12 to 18 months for the pixels of your projection to start to flip enough where you start to see parts of who they actually are. And this is when people start to feel like, oh my God, this person tricked me. They're not who they said they were. Or this is where we start to feel like, wow, I'm just... This is where they might start to feel like a roommate, you know, and, and then your wandering eye and the projection of this inner other starts to play out. Jung even called, there's a type of person who is addicted to having that type of projection projected onto them. And he called it, I think he called them anima women and animus men. And it's, it's men and women who are always the other 
or it's like the woman who is always the mistress or the dude who is always the dude that the woman cheats on her main person with, with them. And you can just go on Instagram and just scroll through the algorithm and you will very quickly find the anima women and the animus men of our time. And it's a type of addiction because you, you get treated like you're a God. This is a whole rabbit hole, not going to go down it, but we can talk about it on some other call because it's super juicy. Um, and then the last part is what Jung calls the capital S self. Again, not a great word because most of us now think of myself as the ego. Like whatever we think of when we think of myself, we think of the ego. But when Jung is talking about the capital S self, he's talking about this like the God thing in you, like the organizing principle that is like masterpiecing the whole thing that holds everything together. It's really whatever direct experiences you have had that you've interpreted as God from the Jungian lens, what he would say is this is your ego interacting with this part of you because the true capital G thing is too big to grok at all. And so if you have any comprehension of anything that you attribute to godliness, it's this part of the psyche. Um, there's a lot of really cool things that I'm trying to, uh, that I'm skipping. Okay. Here are some of the fundamental processes that happen within this structure. So we have the levels, we have some of the main players. Now I'm going to talk about, here are some of the main, like you can think of like chemical reactions that happen in the psyche. Number one, and again, each of these things could be like a month long teaching thing because um, it's so close to how we operate that we don't see it unless we start to call it out. But the most common process that's happening in this dance is projection. So I was talking about it earlier. In order for you to grok anything that you don't currently understand, and this goes for every time you meet a stranger, you have to project aspects of what you already know onto this phenomenon to start to explore and inspect it. Projection is how we interact with anything that happens in our life that we don't understand. Hopefully, projection leads to insight about the actual thing. So the person or the symbol or the big boom, you know, like if an explosion happened outside of your house right now, you would instantly be projecting your best ideas onto that phenomenon as you're taking in information from the outside in this process until there's a thing that clicks and then you feel like you understand it. And the thing that's weird about understanding is you don't get to choose when you understand. There's something in you that just clicks and then the process stops. And it's just like, don't think about it too long. It'll hurt your head. Projection, when we don't look at it, and we don't understand it, is when we project really painful parts of us that we've exiled onto people. And um, like, if there is someone that you've never met that you hate, it is a projection, period. You haven't met them. You don't know them. 
They remind you of somebody. They might remind you of a part of you. You know, like if any of you have anyone online that you have never met, that you hate, or that you're in love with, and that you think that like you're supposed to be their best friend or you're supposed to be with them. This might be uncomfy, but it's a projection, you know? And learning how to work with projection is just one of the like, um, it's a game-changing tool, but it's nuanced. It's not just that, you know, everything's false. No, it's not that. So just let's not get stuck down rabbit holes. Number two is inflation and depression, and they're opposite phenomena of the same thing. So your ego is going to run into phenomenon that it can't integrate, that it doesn't know how to solve. And you can either alchemize it, which would mean that you're going to have to be killed by it in a symbolic way and then grow into a new type of awareness. And that's painful. And so what a lot of people do is they'll try to inflate above the problem or they'll depress themselves below the problem so they don't have to contend with the problem. So an example of this would be um, if you got a job that you wanted and you've been there for a couple of weeks and the truth is you're not good at it, like you don't get it. One of the things your ego might do is it might inflate itself and be like, this fucking, my boss is screwing is cheating on his wife and that's why he's not here helping me as much as he needs to blah 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 or this job is a fucking you know it's a fucking scam it's a mlm blah blah it's you rise yourself above it so the obstacle stops being an obstacle and there's like a specific feeling of like mania that comes with inflation where it's like you know it's icarus depression is when we run into an obstacle and instead of taking on the responsibility of transforming ourselves in response to the obstacle, we just fucking crush ourselves. And it's like, I've, I never keep my word or I eat dog shit or I'm always behind and I'm a late bloomer. And I just think there's something like broken in me, blah, blah, blah. And all of those things can be partially true. But if you use that self-talk as a way to not contend with the next object that wants to be integrated, these are the two primary ways that the development of the ego can get stuck. Number three, and this is the main function of dreams, is it's called the compensation function. And again, these are Jung's words. I should probably update all of them, but... Fundamentally, what he believes dreams are doing is that your dreams are trying to help you experience the exact right opposite feeling of where the ego and conscious life is stuck so that you can be tuned in a way that when you wake up, you'll respond to the thing differently. So here's an example. If you have a blind spot where you often exaggerate what you're going to be able to do for people at work. And it's caused a lot of weirdness that you can't see because it's in your blind spot. You might have a dream 
where you have this big expensive house and it's just, it's kind of too much and you're walking through it and everything everyone says to you is exaggerated. And then you go look in the bathroom and you yawn and you have like black mold on the middle of your tongue. That's a dream that I had last week. Yeah, ouch. You know, it's like, wow, okay, my psyche is showing me that I'm exaggerating. And I'll hopefully by the end of this, it'll make sense why that makes sense. Um, I had a friend who had a dream rec- recently where um, he like freaked out in the dream. Like he was yelling at someone. And it's because the way he orients to this person that he's in a relationship with in his waking life is he always bites his tongue. He's just always quiet. And so his unconscious is trying to help him feel what it would feel like to just fucking rage against the thing that he feels like is unfair. All right. Number four is the transcendent function. And this is basically alchemy. So the transcendent function is when you work with your dreams and you realize, oh, my dream is commenting on the fact that I'm exaggerating you then sit with that long enough until some transformation of your behavior or your worldview happens. It's basically growth. You know, it's maturing. It's acquiring wisdom. And the fact that the ego can do this is what he calls the transcendent function. It's the fact that we can include and transcend our current obstacles. Uh, Number five is the individuation process. This is basically his, his whole fucking jam. And it's that we each, like the seed, like the acorn has an oak tree, like embedded within it that time is trying to pull out of it. We all have an oak tree version of us. And it's like the fact that you feel like you're behind is not because of a broken Western culture, even though it exacerbates it. It's because you have an image in your soul that knows what you could be, and you're constantly in tension with it. That's at least Jung's belief, and I believe it too. So these are the main five processes that are happening within the psyche. And dream work is basically, it'll help you recognize your projections, It'll help you recognize your inflation and your depressions. It'll help you connect to the quote-unquote compensatory function, which really you could just call tuning. The nature of your dreams is to tune your dumbass because your dumbass is a dumbass, you know, and I'm saying this to myself. And the nature of dreams is to tune me so I'm a little bit less of a dumb, arrogant fucking child, you know? And I mean that with no disrespect to children because they're smarter, you know? Okay. I'm only through two of the 10 things of notes that I've written down. So I'm going to skip some shit uh, and I'll turn it into a course because it's a lot. But one of the things that I could beat my drum on for fucking eight hours is the difference between signs and symbols. And that one of the biggest blind spots in our culture right now with the rise of psychedelics and with the rise of more and more people 
learning what we learn in fit for service, which is how to make contact with altered states of consciousness without using drugs, is that people do not understand symbols. And because they don't understand symbols, they fucking confuse themselves. So I'm going to try to go through this quickly because I think it's important. All right. There's kind of two dimensions of reality. And this is, there might not be, there might only be one reality, but the current operating system that most egos run in the modern world right now is there's two different worlds. There's space-time, which is no matter how woke you are, no matter how much ketamine or ayahuasca you do, if you step off of a 10-story building, you are going to fall at the same rate 100 times out of 100 times, and you will die 100 times out of 100 times because there's a thing beyond your psyche that doesn't give a fuck what you believe. I think that's pretty useful to believe is there. And if you don't believe that that is there, you are very likely going to mislead people and you're probably going to trip over your own ego, even though it might not be true if you study Donald Hoffman's work. And that's why we're not going to go down that rabbit hole. Just real quick, who knows who Donald Hoffman is? His shit fucks me up. But let's just assume there's two worlds. There's space-time, and then there is psyche. All of dream work is about psyche, and symbols are the language of psyche, and facts are the language of space-time. But now here is the big thing that Jung has tried to articulate his entire life that he clearly did not succeed at, and it's something that I constantly try to articulate and I don't succeed at it because even the people closest to me will talk in the way that I'm about to show. Um, people, if you try to talk about how their experience was symbolic, they will interpret what you are saying to mean that it's less real than fact. And this is just, this is kind of the essence of our modern wound around symbols. Jung would make the argument that your symbols and your dreams are more real than fact, but they're a different type of real. And if you try to equate them to the other type of real, you're going to have a hard time. But the reason he says they're more real is because they're created by you for you specifically for you to learn something. Math doesn't give a fuck about your current relationship with your mom. But your symbols that come through your dreams, if you learn how to interpret them, appear as if they are giving you wisdom about how to navigate that. It is immensely important, but it is not the same type of real as the equations that predict how electrons are going to interact. And because we have this deep intuition that if it's not fact, it's not as important, when people have big psychedelic experiences, they try to interpret it literally. And when you do that, our culture responds to it as psychosis or as this motherfucker needs to do a little bit less drugs. Or you make some grand change in your life because you interpreted a symbol as being literal and then it fucking blows up a relationship or, or destroys a job. 
Okay. Dreamwork basics. I'm skipping shit, but I want to get to the interpretation of dreams. All right. Um, here's a great quote. Because the dream for Jung was a message from something greater, something unknown, which touches one from within, which was and always will be, it was impossible for him to create an intellectual dream theory. For him, each dream had to be unraveled again and again in its own uniqueness and its own meaning. Although he listened to thousands of dreams during his therapeutic practice and made every effort to interpret them, a dream always remained for him an exciting, mysterious message from the creative primal source of nature, as it is for everyone. For him, it was the most difficult of all for him to interpret his own dreams. This is something I experienced. There's something about the nature of dreams that makes it incredibly hard for you to interpret your own dreams. And so if you want to get what you can get out of dreams, there's two things that you can do. One, listen to the rest of this talk and learn how to do it on your own and actually put the time in to do it. Two, I would recommend you do one plus two or just one. If you skip to just two, you're going to fucking have some interesting things happen. Find someone who is interested in dreams and start to share your dreams with each other. Caution. If you do this to someone you don't want to fall in love with, don't do it with them. Because this is one of the most intimate things that you can possibly do with another human. So either do it with someone of the same gender or someone who is the opposite gender and who is gay or do it with your actual partner. All right. Because, uh, yeah. Um, two, if you're going to do this with someone else, um, send them this recording uh, or learn how to do it with good hygiene first so that you guys don't just start projecting your unconscious bullshit onto each other and then using your dreams and arguments and shit and just fucking causing chaos and then in two years getting a divorce and then blaming me for ruining your marriage let's just not go down that route all right core assertions your dreams are responses to how your ego is playing the game of life your dream is commenting on how your dumbass is a dumbass. That's rule number one all the time. Number two, just assume that dreams are messages from God to you. And through dream work, you're going to learn that God has a sense of humor and doesn't give a fuck about what's moral or modest. I promise you guys, it's so like, you, my dreams don't give a fuck what my ego thinks is okay. Anyways, number three. Their goal is to bring a little bit more harmony to you. Like, that's just what your dreams are trying to do, is they're trying to bring you a little bit more into harmony. And remember that Jung's favorite story was the Rainmaker story. And basically, the essence of the Rainmaker story is you get yourself in enough harmony and the byproduct of your choices and your words and your actions is like magic and things start to happen that we would call miracles and the extent to which how tuned can a human get we don't know the click the phenomenon of the click is fundamental for dream work so what will happen and right after this we're going to get into how to actually do the dream work is only four steps so <laughs> is 
The click is this phenomenon that when you hear the right interpretation or you write out the right interpretation, something inside of you will just feel like it clicks. And that's the thing to learn how to feel. And that's the thing to not break by lying to yourself. Dream work is this thing. And it's why I talk about journaling first, because what the journaling will hopefully do is it will teach you how to be honest with yourself when you're alone with yourself. If you don't know how to do that and you start doing dream work, you're going to go crazy. Like you are going to break that instrument that can attune to the clicking. You've got to be honest with yourself. The clicking is a really interesting thing because it's like, what's clicking? If you didn't know, it's just, yeah, you guys get it. So there's three broad types of dreams. There's actually many more, but just for beginning, let's just use these three. And if you guys want me to talk about the other types, once we open up for q and I'm happy to. But basically, there's interior dreams. There are exterior dreams. And then there are transpersonal dreams. And again, I talked about it before. 99% of your dreams are going to be interior dreams. If you're not disciplined, you're going to interpret 60% of your dreams as external dreams and just bullshit yourself. And I don't want to hear it happen, okay? And a couple of times in your life, you'll have a transpersonal dream. So interior dreams are where all of the contents of the dream are symbolic representations for energies happening inside of you. This is what most of your dreams will be. And you will have to train your ego not to jump to the exterior interpretation. The exterior interpretation is where your dream, like you might have a dream that your friend got into a car accident. And Jung, when he would have dreams like this, he would only act on it if it was a dream about a close friend. He would not ever do it to like a faraway acquaintance. So just for his close friends. And if, when he had a dream like this, he would tell them. And he has stories of like helping people avoid things, blah, blah, blah. But even for him, these type of dreams are very rare. But these would be dreams where it's actually almost like a prognostic type of thing where you're trying to, where your psyche is trying to work out something for someone else who is not working it out for themselves. Again, rare. Just assume all dreams are interior dreams for the love of God. Transpersonal dreams are really cool. And they're what Jung calls big dreams. And he talks about how cultures that have a living dream, like culture within their culture, like for cultures that um, respect and honor dreams, the leaders of those groups or the like priests or priestess of those groups would sometimes have big dreams. And big dreams are these huge vast archetypical dreams that like either predict when like a storm's coming and the tribe will actually move their entire camp to some new area or there will be some big dream about some new child that's going to be birthed and like it's like they're tapping into something that's much larger that's happening in the collective unconscious and Jung actually has a very famous story about this 
he had a dream when he was like 34 or 35 where he saw this huge tidal wave starting to rise over the Swiss Alps. And being a good Jungian, he interpreted that as an interior dream that was predicting that he might have a psychotic break because catastrophe dreams, like catastrophe imagery in your dreams tend to represent that your ego is about to be broken and move into a new, it's about to die and be reborn. And it's symbolic. It doesn't mean that you're a prophet and that the world is going to end because 100% of people who've had those dreams and thought that they were literal have been wrong. So you probably will be too. But then he had the dream a couple of weeks later and it was blood now. It was a huge blood tidal wave that had a bunch of human bodies in it. Six months later, World War II started. And he interpreted that in hindsight he thought it was an interior dream until World War II happened. And then he went back to that dream and he realized that it was a big dream. It was him being plugged into whatever the collective consciousness is. So just assume that it's going to be a small dream, an interior dream. All right. Now we're getting to how to actually interpret dreams. Thank you guys for your patience. I skipped a lot of shit. I, it's just, I could talk about this for a long time. Okay. Really, it's kind of five steps, but the first step is just assumed. Number one, write your dream in the first person like it's a memory. So I walked into a house and I saw a doll that was six feet tall that had a knife in its hand and it started to walk to me in a way that gave me goosebumps. That's a real dream that I've had that I still think about. I could talk about what I think that means. Number two, call out each significant dream image and write at least three to five of your first associations to that image. So I'll say that again. Write out each of the major dream images and then write out three to five of the first associations that come to mind from that image. So once you get this, it's super easy, but before you start to do it, you're gonna have to practice a bit and not make some common errors. Okay, so if you begin to meditate, you will learn that it's almost impo it, it is impossible for you to go more than a couple of moments without having a thought. So if you write down something and you're like, I can't think of anything, it's just because you're blocked. It's not because you're not having a thought. One of the most common errors here is people will do what's called a chain of associations. So it's like six foot tall doll, horror movie, and then they'll associate from horror movie. And then they start to go on this thread and they get super far away from the core image. That's not how this works. You make the first association, and really you don't make it, you just witness what happens in your mind. And then you come back to the image, and then you wait for the next one. And then you come back to the image, and you wait for the next one. So I'm gonna try not, I've interpreted this dream, so I can't do it honestly, but let's just say that I had a dream about a red car. All right, so the first thing that would come to mind would be like fast. And then the next thing that would come to mind would be like sex. Then the next thing that would come to mind would be power. And then the next thing that would come to mind would be freedom. 
And this is me going back to that core image each time. Step three is once you've gone through each of the images and you've written down three to five associations with each of the image, and you can, if you want, star the association that feels like it clicks. But step three is now you go through each of those images and you ask yourself, what part of me is this? What part of me is the red car? And this is where it gets super juicy because this is where you're going to start to realize that there's a whole bunch of shit happening inside of you. And they're all, it's like you're an orchestra and there's fucking hundreds of instruments. And for most of us, the song that we are playing is like the happy birthday song that you guys sung to Brady, just fucking out of tune. And that what your dreams are trying to do is they're trying to help you bring all of that shit slowly into a fucking symphony. And the symphony is your dharma. It's, it's how you are in the world in your full expression. Step number four, once you've gone through all of the associations and once you've gone through how each of those parts reflect parts of you, then the invitation is to write out an interpretation of the dream. It's going to be sloppy, but just try. And use the constraint of it can't be more than five sentences long. Ideally, it's one sentence long. But most of us, when we first start to do this, even me, like when I do a first pass on a dream, it's very often not just one sentence. Step five is the really juicy one. Do a ritual. And the keys for the ritual are keep it subtle, keep it simple, and keep it solitary, a.k.a. don't use your dreams as an excuse to make your partner do something that they don't want to do. Don't use your dreams as an excuse to do weird shit at work. Keep it simple and subtle and to yourself, and really cool stuff is going to happen. All right, I'm going to go into each of those steps just a little bit more deeply to flesh it out, and then um, I'll open it up for questions, and then we'll just start interpreting dreams. And my invitation to all of you is to start interpreting your dreams. And my gift to you guys is within the next few weeks, my goal is before Sedona, I'm going to send you guys a custom journal in Notion that has all of this stuff in it and videos and um, templates that you can use to start to interpret your dreams. Because I want to learn how to teach this to people because I think it's just the coolest. Like, I think the only thing I enjoy more really is like sex and like vacations, you know, like dreams are just the best. Anyways, okay. So associations. Types of associations would be people, objects, situations, colors, types of sound, and types of speech. You know, so like a turn of phrase or something. Like you might see a dream image and then some colloquialism will come to mind, like bit his tongue. You know, and and your dreams will actually play on the colloquialisms of the language that you speak, which is super interesting. And it's a rabbit hole that we can go down. Some notes on associations. 
at first, this is going to feel like a lot of work, but as soon as you get the hang of it, it will be easy and it will be worth it. The reason this step is so important is that every time you do this, you're laying the bricks for your inner set of symbols. This is something to just shout from the mountaintops. And this is something that probably all of you have done wrong and it's not your fault. It's just because culture is confused. But Jung is super clear on this multiple times. You cannot interpret your dreams by going to a dream dictionary or going to a fucking website. You cannot type in, what does Blue Jay mean? That is not how this stuff works. At best, you can go look into what are evolutionary processes that animals do all the time to see if there's some symbol in there that your psyche has access to. But you cannot interpret your dreams through a book or through some online resource. You have to do the work on your own symbols. But as you start to do this, you will learn that you have unique symbols that your psyche uses over and over again. Like all of you, one of your most common dream locations is going to be your childhood home. You're going to want to learn why. And only you can learn why. No book can tell you. Um, a common dream symbol for me is playing, is playing basketball. And it's because a lot of my developmental emotions grew inside of that context. So if you played a sport, you will likely have that sport come up often. What's really cool is this practice of tracking associations is actually Trojan horsing you into meditating. It's teaching the fundamental skill of noticing the first thought that arises after you try to not think, which is like the essence of Buddhism. And I just think that that's super cool, you know, that it's two birds with one stone. Again, looking and feeling for the click is the guiding principle to this. All right, step number two, which is how you bring it inward. Um, a quote from Robert Johnson, who wrote the book Inner Work, which is the best dream interpretation book I've ever read in my life. It's fucking incredible. The quote is, this is probably the single most important principle in dream work the one that determines whether you will find the wisdom in your dreams. You have to recognize that dreams are an intricate tapestry of symbolism and each image represents something going on within your own self. Full stop, period, period, period. It is about you. You know, like a, a curt way to say it is your dreams don't care about other people. Your dreams care about your dumbass being less of a dumbass and your ego is going to want to externalize any of the uncomfortable images that come up in your dreams. Just don't do it. There's so much stuff I have to skip. All right. Interpreting. Here are some core questions that you can ask yourself when you get to the stage of interpreting. Number one, what is the central most important message that this dream is trying to communicate to me? What's the gist? What's the essence? Number two. It's always a dance to pause for how long I need to pause for the people who are writing to write it down. 
And I see a lot of head nodding, so I'll continue to pause. All right, so I'll repeat number one. What is the central, most important message that this dream is trying to communicate to my dumb ass? That's at least how I talk to myself. Number two, what is it advising me to do? In parentheses, that I don't want to. Number three, what is the overall meaning of this dream in my life? All right, some core principles for how to measure whether or not an interpretation is valid. There's four. Number one, the interpretation shows you something that you did not know before you started this. If the interpretation doesn't surprise you, you're probably not doing it. Number two, interpretations will not inflate your ego. So if you have an interpretation that's like, wow, I'm really right when it comes to arguing with my wife because in the dream I was yelling at her. We should all buy a button that just says bullshit. And whenever we get that type of interpretation, just hit the button and just hear bullshit. Number three, an interpretation will not shift responsibility away from you. And number four, write your dream somewhere because your interpretations will call out to you sometimes through time. And what I mean by that is sometimes an interpretation is not clear. But if you write it down and you live with the dream, especially if it's like a powerful one, one will come up later. So basically four is just write it down. All right, I think the most interesting part of this is the last part, which is do rituals. This is something I've never done until I read the book, Inner Work. And once I read it, I'm just like, fucking duh. Okay, here's a quote by Marie von Franz, who was Jung's main disciple. And she was basically the first person to write about Jung in a way that anyone could fucking understand. Because if you've ever read Jung directly, it's, it's really hard. So here's a quote from Marie. Jung carefully wrote all of his dreams in a book, especially kept for that purpose, and he painted illustrations to accompany them. He urged his patients and friends to do the same. He treated dreams like a crystal, which one turns round and round in one's hands in order to light up all of its facets. But when he understood through a dream what the unconscious wanted of him, he obeyed immediately. For instance, in his younger years, he and a friend took a bicycle tour to Italy. On the trip, he dreamt of an old wise man who put questions to him, and he understood that their context was that he should occupy himself with certain mythological texts, which at the time contained for him still unresearched problems, and which he suspected foreshadowed his future work. Although he was only planning to stay for three days in Italy, he loaded his bicycle on the train and returned home the next day. 
very much to the anger of his companion, but he obeyed immediately. So seriously did he take his dreams. Now, when I read that, just a part of me to keep my brain healthy is I wrote down in the margins of the book, maybe he was just afraid. You know, like one of the things to be clear is Jung is just a person too. Now, I think he's a genius, but that doesn't mean that he's a god. And maybe that motherfucker was just afraid to be away from home and he wanted a reason to go back home so he could go behind his desk. It's just worth having that out there. But the essence here is your life will get really interesting if you start to listen to what your dreams are trying to tell you to do. So one of the stories from the book of a ritual that one of Robert Johnson's clients did is um, this young man in his early 20s had a dream, a recurring dream. And recurring dreams are really important dreams to pay attention to. But he had a recurring dream where he was in a mall and he kept going to all these different stores and everything felt like it was empty in the sense that like he would buy stuff, but it would feel cheap. He would eat stuff and it would feel like empty calories and he would have conversations with people that felt vapid. Through interpreting his dream, he realized that um, every weekend he would do this thing where he would go out with his friends, he would get drunk, he would have meaningless conversations, he would eat bullshit food, and he was just wasting his life. And so once he interpreted this dream, the next weekend, he went out to find the most expensive deluxe hamburger he could find. He bought it, and he also bought a shovel at the mall. And then he came back home in his backyard and he fucking dug a pit and he personally in like a ritualistic way buried that habit of his and then he covered it up and, and then he stopped doing it. Very cool. Um, a really cool story is um, there was a woman who... Uh, used to be a Catholic when she was uh, younger, and then she left that religion and got into Buddhism. And then she was asked to be a monk at a monastery, and she said no because it didn't feel right. But she had a lot of regret about, like, you know, she didn't feel like she fit either of the two worlds. And then she had this really big dream where she was inside of a room with no door that was right next to a mass that was happening inside of a church and she could hear everything happening in the mass and because she couldn't step out of the room she got into lotus pose and started to meditate in the style that she learned from buddhism but she had a rosary and she started to count the rosary and just listen to the mass that was happening and flowers started to blossom inside of the room through the floor and she woke up once she eventually interpreted that dream she chose the ritual of finding that type of flower at the store, bought a bouquet of them, and then drove an hour to the sea. And then she gave the flowers to the sea. When she drove the hour back, when she got home, she saw that her friend's car was outside of her house. And this was a friend she hadn't seen in a while. So they started going on a walk around her home. Within a, like six minutes of walking, she saw a monastery that she had never noticed before that looked exactly like the one in her dream. Her friend happened to be a member of that place and had a key. And so they were able to go inside and she was able to meet the nuns who lived there. They showed her around and she saw that there was a fucking room next to the main hall that looked just like the room in her dream. 
So she sat down in that room and started to meditate. And the beauty of the dream just started coming through her. And then she eventually became friends with the nuns there. And she went there every other day to just sit. That's the type of shit that I don't think these people are lying. That there's maybe God is real and that we don't understand what the fuck is going on and that things are trying to come through us that are much smarter than us. That if we learn to humble ourselves to it and do the rituals that it asks us to do, magic can happen. So um, that's basically the short version of how to begin to interpret dreams and why I think it's important. Let's do Q&A about what I talked about first. And once it feels like we've worked through that, then I'll start to interpret people's dreams until people start to log off. Um, Ken, can you unmute yourself and ask your question? Let's hear that voice. Yeah, yeah you bet. So um, do you think visions and dreams are similar? And the reason I ask is that um, I've had, I, I, I haven't really logged a whole lot of dreams. I've, I've logged some, but I've had some visions that have happened specifically in breath work that are like crystal clear to me. Um, and I'm curious about kind of what your thoughts are on that. Yeah. So the Jungian lens would basically say the, all visions are speaking the same language as dreams and that it's the realm of symbol and that um, it's just a different medium through which that same type of language comes through. And so the invitation would be to work with it like it's a dream which is what are the first things that come to mind when I think of the images within this image? Um, where are those parts in me? And then ask for the interpretation and then do a ritual based off of the insight. And this is why me and Kyle hammer the fucking point. If you're doing a bunch of psychedelics or you're doing a bunch of breath work and you're having a bunch of visions and it doesn't translate to a change in behavior in your life, something is missing. And so that's why I think this ritual thing is so important. Now, the more advanced thing is that sometimes dreams and visions are not symbolic. Sometimes they are literal, but it's exceedingly rare and it's worth assuming it's not until reality demands that it is. And I think um, it's just good mental hygiene to assume it's the same thing as a dream and that it's not a literal prognostic thing, but you're advanced, you know, like you've, you're an elder, like energetically. And the fact that you don't resonate with that is why you're an elder and it's fine. But the amount of work that you've done, you have a type of integrity with yourself that you probably know when it's one or when it's the other. That being said, I've got a juicy one for you when we get to that point. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, it's fucking gnarly. Okay, so a couple of questions. Um, the most practical one is something I struggle with, which is like, how do you actually remember dreams yep. or any practices for for that? All right. Yeah, uh, I should have remembered. Like, one of the reasons I love doing the Q and A is because it helps me recognize things that are obvious to other people. So I get this question all the time, and so there's a bunch of things that you can do. Um, one is, uh, 
I think it's just good hygiene for all of us to have a practice while we're getting ready for bed to pray. And if you have a partner, something that Caitlin and I have been playing around with is to pray out loud in front of each other. What's so interesting about this is that we are more quick to take off our clothes and to fuck each other than to talk to God out loud in front of each other. Like, well, what, whatever our version of spirit is, and that it's arguably the most intimate thing that you could do with someone else. And so a part of the dream or a part of the prayer for me every night is to genuinely ask for a dream, you know? And I think that there's just something that happens. Dreams are so interesting because it's like, I was able to go a year and a half and not interpret a dream. And it wasn't until I read a Jungian book that I remembered, like, what the fuck have I been doing for a year and a half? Like, this was the core function of my life for years. And then I just kind of stopped doing it. And it's the type of thing that as you attempt and as you work with your dreams, like, it's only been a week and I'm remembering at least one big chunk of a dream every night. Whereas before this last week, you know, I could go weeks and not remember a dream. So just creating the orientation to your dreams is huge. Two, if you really have, so stop drinking and stop drinking alcohol and stop smoking weed in the last four hours of the day, because weed will absolutely impair, like it does something biologic that seems to impair that. Um, a hack that's not spiritual, but it's just biological is drink about 20 ounces of water right before you go to bed and you will wake up after one of your sleep cycles to go pee and you'll have a dream there with you. Another hack is what's called polyphasic sleep, which is you can replace a two hour sleep cycle with a 20 minute nap if you nap at the same time and it takes about a week for your brain to use that nap to go right into REM sleep. This is a more advanced technique because if you learn how to do this, you can go straight into lucid dreaming and lucid dreaming is a whole other fucking different thing. But basically if you nap at the same time every day, you set a timer for like 25 minutes and you only sleep for six hours and you're going to feel groggy for about a week but then your brain is going to use that nap to go right into REM sleep. And what will happen is, so there's something called dream yoga, which there's branches of Buddhism that have used this, where you basically use meditation techniques to keep consciousness as your body paralyzes yourself to prepare you for REM sleep because your body paralyzes yourself so that you don't act out your dreams. In that space is when people have their um, encounters with demons and shit. And it's because your brain is trying to understand why it's paralyzed. And for, for whatever reason, archetypically, it's some evil demonic force comes and sits on your chest. My interpretation is that it's not an actual demon. It's not an actual witch. It is your unconscious symbolically trying to make sense of the fact that you're conscious, but you can't move. If you don't freak out, some people just go straight into like astral projection and it's a whole fucking thing, or they can just sink directly into a waking dream. And then you can just start to do a whole bunch of interesting stuff. Um, another practical thing is like the last hour of the day, stop watching TV, stop being on your phone and either read fiction or listen to fiction. 
Because when you read or you listen to fiction, you're actually priming your imagination to create images. And it's your imagination that creates dreams. When you watch a movie or when you are on your phone, your imagination is being condensed into perceiving what is actually there to see. But when you get rid of that and you get into fiction, you start to imagine how people look. You start to imagine different places. Like the thing that's so cool about fiction is when they describe a place, like the actual inner image that you create is not the image the author has. You're creating a, a little world in your own unconscious that can sometimes even come up in your dreams. It's super cool. Um, I'm sure there are like supplements and herbs that you can take. I don't know what they are off the top of my head, but I think that like, you know, just like trying to improve your health, just start with what's natural. Don't go straight to like, you know, things that will amplify that. But with that said, alpha brain without caffeine, before you go to bed, I forget what part of it, but it will fucking make your dreams fucking weird. Also fasting, you know, that there's something about fasting that interrupts and kind of makes sleep not as good, but because you're likely to wake up, you will likely wake up with dreams. So um, those are a bunch of different things that you could potentially do. And I could write out more and I'll probably write out a whole fucking thing about it because it is so common. But you said that you had multiple questions, so. Yeah, I'll just touch on the second one. And then if there's time, I'll come back to the third after other people. And I can attest, I remember when I used to take Alpha Brain, same, it would give me uh, a much stronger dream. So the second one in kind of relation to what Ken asked is from your perspective, what's, what's the relationship between dreams and guides? So like, I feel like I've developed a relationship with guides. I've been working with archangels for the last four years now, really out of Gabby Bernstein's work. And I feel like when I meditate and connect with them, they seem to offer a lot of what you're saying is like yep. often surprising and there's that click and, and with those two elements, it feels true. And sometimes I have to like, if I don't feel that I'll re-question it and, or kind of dig deeper and try to like remove the ego, remove the answer I'm looking for until I get that click. That's surprising. 100%. So what you're talking about is what Jung would call active imagination and that's the more advanced technique that he learned after interpreting thousands of dreams is that, oh, people can get into a meditative state while they're conscious and they can interact with the dream world with the ego intact. And if you learn how to navigate that space, you will likely connect to what is called a psychopomp, which is an old Latin word for like a guide to the inner world. And so if you read the Red Book, the Red Book is Jung's book where he wrote down his dreams. It is fucking crazy. It gives me goosebumps whenever I look at it. It's that big red book right behind me. Ugh. And through him doing active imagination, he made contact with a part that he called Philemon. And Philemon was his inner guide that had the wings of a kingfisher fish and had horns of a bull that felt like a Gnostic alchemist from like 400 years in the past. And that was his fucking dude that took him on all these fucking adventures. Now, everyone tread carefully 
if you're going to jump ahead and do active imagination, because if you do not have a good discernment between sign and symbols, you can get lost in the sauce. And I know that you guys are aware that we have recently had a member who is lost in the sauce. And so it's really alive in my consciousness. I don't feel comfortable teaching active imagination right now, but maybe in like a year after I sit with it more, like I'm glad and I can feel that you're grounded, but this is just a very clear caution. If you don't have really clean discernment between those two things, don't jump into active imagination until you have a guide in person who can help you. Awesome. Thanks for that. Absolutely. Deanne. So I don't typically remember my dreams, um, but the last couple of nights I have, and maybe it's in anticipation of this. I Love also it. have got, I also have gotten up to go to the bathroom. So maybe um, they were very like uh, weird and comical. Um, but I guess what I'm curious about is I know there was a much larger story there, but I only held on to this much. And so is that enough to go off of, you know, just this one segment, a little bit of a feeling behind what was going on? Um, can I interpret that much or do I need like the start to finish? Yeah. So a couple of questions is it's like, um, what is the result if that belief is true and the result is you don't do anything, you know? And so that's obviously like work with what you got. And there's something about, it's, it's really interesting. There's something about the nature of dreams where if you don't try, you can feel like you have forgot, but as you start to try, things just start to reveal itself. Like I had a friend today who just as like a joke, when I saw him at work, I was like, have you been tracking your dreams? And the moment I said that, he was like, oh, and a whole dream came back. You know, and so it's one of those things where you might think that you don't remember, still try. And as you try, more might reveal itself, but maybe it doesn't. And if it doesn't, you're still doing something. And the next dream might be a bit more and a bit more and a bit more. Beautiful. Angela. Hey, um, I had this dream come up last night and I was trying to figure out if it was just individual or transpersonal in a way, because um, I had a dream just shortly. It was like something to do with a pig and a farm. And then I told my best friend about it. I'm very close with her family. And she told me that last night she was watching First Kingdom and the scenes that she was watching were all about, I think, like the Vikings talking about roasting the Anglo-Saxons like pigs on a spit. So she saw yeah. like a giant pig last night. I didn't talk to her. I didn't know. And then when I saw her at lunch, uh, she told me because her mom was in the dream, too. And she was, too. She said, the, and then when I told her more of the dream, she said the only dream that her mom ever remembered was like, of her being slaughtered and dismembered and fed to pigs as she watched from above, like over her body. And I just thought, <laughs> so fucking weird. So I'm like, is this transpersonal? Because there's so much. Oh, and this is the other thing. 
when I woke up, I had the intuition to like open Instagram because I was like, okay. And the first thing that was there on my feed was a pig. So I, I was like, what the fuck is going on? Yep. All right. So um, the truth is, and if anyone responds to this other than I don't know, they're just not being honest. But so the truth is, I don't know. But what I would offer is my intuition is that the structure of psyche is musical and organic, like imagining like how plants grow, but plus like the kind of like organization of frequencies and resonance and all that shit. And it's like everyone. So one of the ideas is that the fundamental structure of reality is holographic and holographic means that each individual piece has within it the whole and that as more pieces come online, the like clarity of the whole image gets more and more clear, but each individual thing has the whole. And so it's like, if you imagine a hologram plus like intertwining roots plus music, like everyone that we're close to, we're interweaving in some really hard to describe type of way. And that for me, I think like the ultimate archetypical hero is what Jung was trying to articulate with the Rainmaker and that it's something about all of the chords and notes that are coming through you, no matter where they're coming from, if you can bring, you have the opportunity as a node to bring them more into resonance. And as you do that, it has this non-local effect on all the different consciousnesses that weave in and out of you. And so the way to work with that, that I would offer is what is it in me that is the pig? What is it within me that is the, is her mom and her? And what is this, what's here for me? And what's a ritual that I can do that is honoring the fact that I'm paying attention and I'm listening. And it could have like, maybe what you experience is just a little glimpse of the non-local threads that if you got more into resonance, it would actually improve those people's lives too. But that's not why we do it. But there's just, there's this, like it gives me goosebumps. There's dream work has been my pathway into like a genuine religious orientation towards life that is fundamentally mysterious to me. And what I love about dreams is it's like, I do not have a final answer on anything when it comes to dreams, but there's a process that everyone can play with. That's this like musical thing that's constantly helping me see where I'm blind. Cause at every part on this journey, I have a shadow and I'm, and I'm not what I could be. And I constantly am making errors. And the, so what I would offer is the more useful question is to make it interior. And just let the mystery be the mystery and then find your ritual that you can do and then just keep doing your fucking thing. Okay. Thank you. All right. Does anyone else have questions about the content before we get into um, the dreamies? So um, another, hopefully just quick, short question. In, in my experience with psychedelics, there's been, 
certain psychedelics that um, inside that same modality feel um, like the interpretation is very clear. So for example, when I've done work with San Pedro, it felt super clear, like no interpretation required. Here's the message. But then there's other psychedelics like salvia that are crazy that like it, nothing makes sense. And then six months later, that click will, I'll be like walking down the street, not even thinking about it. And they'll just like, mm. something will click be like, Oh, that I get that thing now. And so just kind of wanted your, I don't know, opinion ideas on like, yeah, like just curious. This is a cool question. This would be like, I think a thing that would be cool. So like my dream would be that, you know, like there's a couple of hundred people who I've done the dream stuff with enough where I trust that all of them know how to do it. And we're all just out here gathering information about the dream world. And if we all came together and did like a group project of creating like an info graphic of the spectrum of what type of either plants or different type of non-ordinary state of consciousness inducing practices, like where do they fall on the spectrum of like hyper symbolic to almost not symbolic at all? Because I agree with you. My experience with San Pedro is that it's this very like more into reality than reality itself. Whereas I haven't done salvia because that shit scared me and I just, it's not around me, but like on the full other end of the spectrum, I find that ayahuasca is very dream like for me at least like it's very like her and i fucking vibe because it's like it seems like she's like oh you understand what i'm saying let's just fucking go for the thing um and like i find that like ketamine is more on the left side whereas um like high dose of mushrooms is on the right side uh so that's really interesting um yeah Awesome. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> Melanie, do you have a content question or is it a dream? I do. No content. Perfect. Go for it. Um, so I just wanted to know what your perspective is on dreams that are replaying past events, uh, specifically like the more traumatic events. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I haven't thought about this, but because of the work that I've done studying trauma, it actually makes sense. So um things that are explicitly traumatic and this type of so it's it tends to be shock trauma type of stuff that like hodges itself in our memory in a way where um the actual shock trauma will reemerge in the dream context and it's basically almost like re-traumatizing that I would say approach as trauma instead of as dream work. But here's what where it gets really interesting. Um, I wrote an article called "What Is Trauma." That's probably the most useful thing that I think I've ever made. And I, you know, read a bunch of books and I worked on it for a couple of months and I got super deep into it. And one of the things that's so interesting is that um, one of the phenomenons of trauma is called reenactment. And you're probably familiar with this, but that there is this um, like instinct to try to recreate the trauma. And for people who don't understand why that's happening, it can seem like the cruelest part of trauma. 
But if you look at it from like an organism standpoint, it's the organism trying to do what it knows would actually heal it, which is to get back into the situation and to choose the adaptive alternative behavior that you weren't able to choose in the past. And what's super interesting that gives me goosebumps is that what MDMA research on trauma and what mushroom research on trauma has shown is that people can get into a visionary state that is like a dream and the dream can move through the trauma and then give them a new outcome that is symbolic that can actually heal the trauma. And there's stories about this. And it's, it's one of the things that um, is kind of more esoteric and they don't talk about it a lot because like they have enough evidence to try to get this stuff legalized where they don't need to talk about this weird shit, but that there are, um, significant examples of people who have like one example, it's not quite on the trauma thing, but actually I'll, I'll answer your question first. There's a book called acid test, um, that was written by a journalist that like tracked the rise of MDMA being used on, um, vets with PTSD. And they talk about the specific story of this dude who had um, severe shock trauma because a grenade blew up by him and killed his friend and he lived and he had a bunch of guilt where through working with that content, he was eventually able to like find the inner child that like he was protecting from the bomb and the child took him down into a cave that would, that went to a jail cell and unlocked it. And within it was the version of him that uh, survived the grenade. And he went in and he hugged it and he cried with it. And it was after that symbolic dreamlike encounter that his symptoms of depression rapidly went down. And so if you have dreams that are replaying specific things, um, approach it like it's actually trauma. And uh, if you go check out that article, I have a bunch of like links to like the best people in that space and what their books are and how they talk about it. But that there is also the opportunity for it to be alchemized through um, more likely active imagination. But I think it's the type of thing that it's best, like that's not the best tool for it. The best tool for it would be what the current leading experts on trauma would recommend. All right, it's dream time, motherfucks. All right, I'm gonna roll this dice. All right, we got four. All right, that's my boy Andrew. What's up, Eric? So yeah. I have a a really old dream. Um, I'm also someone that hardly remembers my dreams, but I have this one dream from when I was probably four or five. So it's over 30 years old, and it's it's not as detailed, but there's very specific parts to it. So I was about four or five and I was walking down. So at my house, there was at the end of the block, there was this dirt road that went down to the harbor. And I was walking down the dirt road and there was a drop off and that was made from a tree root and the dirt that was underneath the tree root was hollowed out. And inside the tree root was a blue Bic ballpoint pen. And I went to go grab it. And then I looked out to the harbor and there was a pirate ship. And then I noticed that there was these pirates coming towards me, coming up the trail. And so I ran back to my house 
And then the next thing I remember is they followed me and they tied me and my mom up back to back in our living room. And then I woke up. Beautiful. Oh, I love it. All right. So the first image is you going on this walk and you see this tree. All right. What's the first thing that comes to mind? Yeah. Tree root. Um, it felt, uh, stable, foundational, kind of grounding, um, feels old, big, thick tree root. So it felt very old. Um, all right. So now the next one is the blue pen. What comes to mind? Writing, um, telling stories, uh, using my voice. Beautiful. All right. Horizon, ocean, pirate ship. What comes to mind? The, well, the horizon and the water feels very expansive, but then the pirates uh, evoke fear. Mm Mm-hmm. And seeing them come towards me, uh, yeah, there was this feeling of needing to get away and to to run from the thing that I was excited about, which was the pen. Yep. All right. And now the main image after that is being tied to your mom. Mm-hmm. What comes to mind? Mm-hmm. Feeling helpless but also there's a sense of safety knowing that i'm with my mom who i who's strong figure in my life what else well i can't see her because she's tied behind me and that sense of like kind of feeling alone but like knowing in the back of my mind that She's there with me. Beautiful. One more. Having the pirates in my own home makes me feel uh, like unsafe in in my most uh, you know yeah. in my most comfortable space. You know. Beautiful. Okay. So, um, a thing to know about really early dreams is that um, there is this beautiful idea. Uh, I forget which book it's in, but the idea is that like the oak that is inside of the seed for each of us, like whatever our dharma is, the bigness of it is what creates our specific wounds when we're children because the weight of the thing in the future presses down upon us as kids and it's this really cool way to just look at like our early life. I find that early life dreams, like especially the ones that we remember fucking 30 years later, like I remember my first dream when I was four and it's Freudian as fuck. And it's, it's this, it's the same type of energy where there's running and there's fear, but there's also this like call to power. Um, just a couple of things before I start to ask you the next type of questions is the ocean tends 
especially the horizon. The ocean over the horizon tends to represent the unconscious coming over the horizon, which is like where we're able to see, you know, so from the unconscious into the conscious. And pirates tend to represent like energies coming from the unconscious that are trying to make contact with the ego, but scary, but powerful. And so um, I'm just going to go with my intuition. And because this is such an old dream, instead of asking you like what parts of this are alive for you, I'm just going to kind of move into an interpretation and you share what feels resonant and what doesn't. The first word that you used for the tree that, that clicked for me was like foundational and old. So like, like a core foundational part of you is, is protecting your power, which is the pen. And the thing that you said about the pen that really resonated with me is like the ability to tell stories is like the power that you're going to have to learn how to wield in life. And as soon as you touch the power, the pirates start to come. And the pirates are going to be the more mature parts of you that you're going to have to learn how to integrate. But the way they feel to the child is like these scary things from the ocean. And that the child's response is to actually run back to mom, but that what the pirates, how the pirates force you to orient to your anima is to have it at your back and to trust it, and you can't actually see it. So the pirates are actually demanding a mature orientation to your soul, which is not to look directly at it and pretend that it's mom, because that's the thing that most young men have to get over is that your mom is not your anima. Your mom is a person. And you have to extricate your anima from your mom. And men who don't go through initiatory rites just tend to project it onto their relationships. And they just, you know, as uncomfortable as it sounds, we tend to treat our partners the way the good boy in us wanted to treat mom. You know, especially if we're um, sweeter, type of people. And I'm that type, like I've had to work on that for a long time, but the pirates make you properly orient to your anima, which is it's behind me. I have faith it's there, but I'm not projected at it. Yeah. That's a, uh, that's powerful. I can, I was like starting to feel myself almost start tearing up when you were talking and there's like a shaking in my body. Um, because storytelling has always been like I've I've constantly had to come back to coming to grips with storytelling is my superpower. And it's always been there ever since I was little. And, and it's also the thing that you probably run away from all the time. <laughs> yeah. So well, the invitation for the ritual clearly involves you go buy a red Bic pen and maybe uh, write a story. I can do that. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. Perfect. Beautiful. I love it so much. I love it so much. All right. Um, I'm going to basically struggle for the rest of the year to try to talk about anything other than just doing dream work. And maybe I don't, maybe I just, so here's the thing I want you guys to take home. Um, if this year has worked, you will leave this container with the call to do the best that you can to help this beautiful broken world. Your greatest companion on doing this 
is going to be, in my opinion, using the compass of dream work. Because if you don't, the more successful you become at helping, the more easier it's going to be for you to slip into inflation, the harder it is it's going to be for you to see your blind spot. And we don't need more inflated people in the spiritual space for the love of God. We do not need more. And dream work, especially the flavor that seems to come out of me, is it, it will help you do great things and not be Icarus. So that's my hope for you guys. And so I'm going to just keep talking about dream shit the whole way. This was awesome. I love you guys. All right. I'm going to go eat. It's fucking 930 here. All right. You guys have a great night. Thank you guys for staying. This was awesome.